Today it's the start of the FIFA Women's World Cup, the one in Australia and New Zealand. And I decided to record a podcast about working at the World Cup. Because I normally receive so many questions about what my work at the World Cup entails and how such a period looks like. And I therefore decided to create this podcast to, sh- to share how all of this works. As a background information, because this might be the first podcast you're listening um, listening to from my side, my name is Esther Huismans. As a feminine leadership mentor, I help female leaders in male-dominated industries to confidently and powerfully position themselves without compromising their femininity or sense of self. It's a lot of words, <laughs> but um, as I say, I'm a feminine leadership mentor, often the only woman at the table, so I know exactly what it entails to be part of, um, to be a woman in a men's world. I have about 20 years of experience in the world of sports. I've worked on World World Cups, European Championship, Olympic Games, Tomorrowland Winter. I'm a venue director uh, for UEFA and um, I'm also an expert for the Football for Women program, the UEFA Assist Football for Women program, which is a feminine leadership program for women all over the world. And as I said, I'm often the only woman at the table. and that is what I will be uh, talking about a little bit more, uh, no, not a little bit, a lot more in the coming podcasts as well. But I know I also have a lot of male listeners. So also welcome to the men who are interested in hearing my story. I also have an inspiration platform, which is called Kick-Ass, um, which stands for Knowledge, Inspiration, Connection for Kick-Ass Ladies in Events and Sports. And ES, it's written not like, uh, <laughs> it's written with ES at the end. Um, and that's also the first two letters of my name and how people always call me in the Netherlands. Um, but that platform is um, currently only in Dutch, is currently only available in Dutch. I also give masterclasses about some of these topics, um, specifically about feminine leadership. If you want to be informed about the masterclasses I give, uh, go to my website. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but it's my name.com, estherhuismans.com. Um, and then you will be informed about all the masterclasses I, uh, I give. Um, and I also give masterclasses about, for example, personal branding, networking and, um, and showing up. If you feel like you want more you want to be involved in the world of sports i can advise you to listen to my first podcast so listen to podcast number one where i share my advices uh, for people that who want to work in the world of sports and there is not one magic pill there's not one golden advice um what for me made the biggest difference or not the biggest difference i just said I am gonna. I took the decision. I'm gonna work in the world of sports. I'm gonna be working at an event, and I'm gonna do football. So that was for me what what I wanted. I didn't know how, but I did know what I wanted, and I decided to go for it. So if you want to hear more about it, listen to podcast number one. The other ones are also very interesting until now. At least that's what I say. As you can hear. I, I don't edit podcasts, I don't have an intro, an outro, I did it in my Dutch one previously and I decided no, I don't want to do it because it also stops me from doing certain things because I think my content is valuable even though it might not be completely edited um, 
even though like I'm not native English, it is valuable with the tips and advice I give you. And that's what you also realize in every podcast, I will share my personal experiences. So it's not the truth. There is anyway no truth because everybody's looking at it from his or her perspective. Um, but I am sharing what worked for me and I could stick to theory and I will also name theory. But in the end, it is about storytelling. Um, and I also personally like to listen to stories from people because for me that sticks the most um, if you have examples about certain situations. I can talk about this for a long time, but you're not here for that. Back to the FIFA World Cup. I worked on, in the meantime, five World Cups as a FIFA marketing venue manager. So really hired by FIFA as a freelancer. I worked on other uh, World Cups and this also um, applies to youth World Cups. So not only the the, the, the big uh, men's World Cup, but also to youth World Cups. But for in the row for as a marketing venue manager, I worked on five events. I worked in Russia uh, for the for the World Cup. Poland was the under 20 men's World Cup. Brazil was the under 17 men's World Cup. Costa Rica, the under 20 um, women's World Cup. And um, last November and December, I worked in Qatar on the men's World Cup. These are all free freelance assignments. And I'm most of the time asked a couple of months before the tournament. And these, this position um, from FIFA is not a position um, where you can apply for, at least most of the time, because they uh, always... Um, ask people who have specific experience. So this often happens via your network. And I know that there are working on setting up a platform and maybe it's already online where you can also uh, indicate your uh, availability as a freelancer, but it always works um, if you know the, the, the people who are in charge of the, um, the project and you can raise your hands because as I said, this is not a job. This is really, you're hired for the tournament itself. I was asked most of the time, but it's also helpful to show interest and to raise your hand if you're interested in a specific event. And for, for example, World Cups, there are more people like necessary. And for the smaller ones, the youth tournaments, there are less people um, uh, needed because they most of the time do that with internal stuff. So it's always good to indicate that you're interested. And that's anyway an advice I always give because a lot of people are afraid to ask or too afraid to put up their hand. Uh, yeah, but what will they think about it? Will they think of it? And I had the same thing, you know, the first time um, when I started working in this role, I actually didn't even intend to. I just wanted to work at a World Cup when the Netherlands didn't qualify for the FIFA World Cup in 2018. And then I thought, I'm just going to ask, um, I actually just asked one person if he knew um, some assignments, like if he knew people, like um, if he knew uh, suppliers or, or other uh, FIFA staff members who knew, uh, who, were, who were needing as somebody with my experience. And then he said, I could use you in my team. So that is what, what happened. Right now I would do it differently. I would spread it out with more people if I would be interested, if I really wanted to work on such an event, because you can work for FIFA, but you can also work for the local organizer. You can also work for, for, uh, for suppliers. There are a lot of options to be working on there. And that also helps uh, to, to build your network but I'm going to come back to uh, some of these advices uh, later on in this podcast. 
as I said, I'm now part of the pool of freelancers and I have experience. So it is easier for me uh, to be involved in an event if I want to be involved. For the, uh, the World Cups, I am the marketing venue manager. For UEFA, I do more the competitions related stuff. And I've had other various other roles and I enjoy the variety as well. So what does this role entail? What does it look like? For me, as a marketing venue manager, I need to ensure that the rights of the FIFA World Cup partners are protected during the event and for involves marketing operations. So what should you think of? Now think, for example, about the youth programs. You see all those children coming to the pitch with the players before the match and also with the flags, etc. That is something which... Uh, which um, yeah, takes time and people don't realize that there is a lot of organization behind that. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the match day, what a match day looks like in, later on in this podcast. So keep on listening. Um, what else? Stadium tours for commercial, party, part, uh, commercial parties. Um, boarding checks. So everything where the partner logos are indicated. Um, and we need to check that. Clean sites and equipment checks. So people, the teams have to, uh, um, they have to um, stick to the equipment regulations, but also the stadiums need to be uh, delivered clean sites. So no competitive brands should be visible. VIK support and VIK is value in kind. And that means that certain partners, certain suppliers, um, or they have different names, um, are delivering value in kind. So no money. No money deal, uh, but a value, uh, or, sorry, in-kind deal, which means, for example, as an example, it's the, the Coca-Cola, who is a partner at uh, the FIFA World Cups, and they deliver a lot of drinks, um, and also Adidas. They are, um, they are providing uh, cloth, clothing for the, yeah, for the staff and for the volunteers, and a lot needs to be organized there. For the bigger events, there is like a separate team on site, for the smaller events is really part of the role of the marketing venue um, uh, team. Food and beverage concessions is also part of uh, the role, at least to check if everything is well implemented. Coordination with other venues. We, we, it's very important to have co coherence across all the venues that we are doing things in a certain way and it's the same in all the venues. And there is a lot more. On-site, it depends on the tournament. Um, in Qatar, for example, we had a team of three people, at least specifically focused on marketing, plus a group of volunteers, and we were more working more than full time. For example, in Qatar, we had a very challenging schedule. Um, we had seven matches in 13 days. And you should consider that on non-match days, so that's the match day minus one, for example, we have various activities as well. And in Russia, for example, uh, we had four matches in 11 days. So you had two or three days in between matches. But in Qatar, it was every other day we had a match day. And on the non-match days, we had an organizational meeting, official trainings, official press conference. So it was quite an intense schedule, especially with the timings. Because, uh, for, for example, the first two match days in my venue were at 10, uh, the matches were at 10 p.m., and then, and then we went to 1 p.m. So like we got home at 3 or 4 at night because there's a lot to do after the match as well. You cannot immediately leave. <laughs> and uh, 24 hours later, we had to get up again at that, approximately at that time. 
um, to, to go because you need to be there on time. You need to be there a couple of hours before the match. <laughs> so yeah, it was quite a challenge, but it, it is so much fun. It is like, okay, sleep is sometimes um, <laughs> under, uh, how do you say that? No, yeah, we always say no sleep until the final. Um, sleep is underrated. That's what I wanted to say. Um, but um, but it's such a great thing, and you go on adrenaline. And I always say it's not all, not the most healthy <laughs> healthy job most of the time. But it's such a great, great, great experience. Sort of addictive. Um, as I said, in Russia, I had four matches, eleven days, and in Costa Rica last year, we had fourteen matches in twelve days. With 12 matches in the first eight days. So we there had back-to-back double headers. And that means back-to-back is like two days in a row. And then double headers is two matches at a day. So I th- I'm throwing in some terms which can be helpful for you to understand what it looks like. And um, in Costa Rica, it was also a challenge because it was during rain season. So we had some matches that, need to be, that needed to be postponed. We had to cancel or not cancel them, but... We had to stop them due to the weather circumstances. So you can imagine that sometimes very challenging. Are you still following? (laughs) In short, it's a demanding schedule. In the weeks before a tournament, we have several online sessions to prepare, to get to know each other, etc. And for the, for the, what do I say, for the bigger uh, World Cups, it's, it's more sessions. If it's a smaller event, it's just a smaller team. And since I currently know what it is about, it, 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 sometimes you don't need like an extensive briefing. Um, so what happens when you arrive on site? You have the first days to collect everything, your accreditation, your official uniform, laptop, phone. Um, you have to get to know the venue. And that is also one of the advice I always give, especially when you arrive at the venue for the first time, you don't know everything. On a certain moment, everything is very natural, but just go. And that is what I also tell the volunteers who are working in my team at that time, get lost in the venue because that's the best way to get to know your way. Because if you're following others, you're not paying attention. And if you get lost yourself, and especially in the bigger stadiums, it is a good thing. Because on match days itself, you don't have, you can permit to get lost in the, uh, in the heat of the moment because you really have a tight schedule. So it's really good to get to know the venue in the first, uh, in the first days. We have a joint workshop where we receive all the information. And as I said, for, for example, in, um, in uh, the, 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 the FIFA, the World Cups, um, we have like two days where we get a lot of information. And for the youth tournaments, it's most of the time a day or an afternoon, depending on how experienced the team is, etc. And then we, what I said, since for me, this is not a new role. I just need to know, okay, what are the new things or what are the exceptions, etc which are, is important to know um, for this specific tournament or what a specific uh, situation for my venue. As I said, it's general information, but especially what falls under our responsibilities during the tournament and any special considerations. Because as I mentioned earlier, for example, value in kind for the World Cups, you have a specific team on site. You have a dedicated team. Food and beverage concessions also a dedicated team for that. But for the smaller tournaments, it's all under the scope of marketing. What is also important? Getting to know the team. Of course, the marketing team, if you're there with, with several persons, because sometimes it's just uh, 
it's for the uh, under 17 in um, in Brazil it was just two persons um, and then um, FIFA and LOC team because there are a lot of people involved and of course don't forget the volunteers um, because you always have a volunteers team to work with who are like dedicated to to um, in my case the marketing uh, the marketing team and what I like about it and that was especially in Qatar it was the, was the case um, no, I don't say that correct. <laughs> what I like about... Okay, in Qatar it was the case for the volunteers as well. But anyway, for the FIFA and also the LO team, LSC team, it's people from all over the world. Um, so yeah, in, in Qatar we had a volunteer team where we had like, I don't know, I think we had 25 people, but we had over 20 nationalities because it's a very international uh, country. But in certain countries, it's just uh, in Russia, it was mainly Russians. It was actually only Russians. Um, but the FIFA team is like coming from all over the world. And that's what I love about doing these events. And it also gives you some challenges because there are sometimes uh, volunteers, but also I had some colleagues who were not that good or not done that fluent in uh, in certain languages um, and in Russia not all volunteers spoke English so communication can then be a challenge so we take that into account when assigning tasks um, not everybody can do certain things or could be linked to one of us for example in Russia I had a volunteer and he was fluent in Spanish but he didn't speak uh, speak English so he was linked to me because I also speak, speak Spanish so I could communicate with him and our local marketing uh, responsible she was responsible for some of the other volunteers and you can do a lot of course with hand and feet but if you're doing a, a tour a stadium tour with your commercial partners it is important that I can communicate with the volunteer who is there. So that is something to take into account. So that's also an advice I have. But if you listen to this podcast, you speak English anyway. <laughs> um, in Brazil, for example, we had a smaller group and there was only one volunteer who spoke English fluently um, and she could help translate. And there was a local counterpart. So then it's like, okay, how can you communicate? And my advance is is that I speak Spanish and with my, uh, I will say with my Portuguese, I can manage, I can explain a lot. Um, so I could communicate with them, but it can sometimes be challenging, especially in countries where you don't speak or understand the language. In Russia as well, when we worked with the children, I could not communicate with them. them. But when I was working in Costa Rica, I could at least talk Spanish with them. So that is really a big advantage. So it is always an advantage if you speak your languages. And then get to work. When you start, after having the introduction, having had the introduction, it's important to make plans. What needs to be done on a certain day? Um, do the task allocation to the team and brief the volunteers about what their task and what their role are going to be. To know that they know what to do, because on match day you don't have the time for all of that. And um, we're getting, and then it's just about getting started with all these tasks to prepare the stadium for the matches. And if you ask me now what keeps you busy all day, <laughs> sometimes I'm wondering myself, but the days fly by so fast during such events, such as especially during the preparation uh, phase, because we are the first point of contact for the entire team on site for all the marketing matters. So there's a lot of coordination that needs to be done internally. Um, for a World Cup, 
a lot of preparations done in the years ahead and it's all decided on a hq level um, um and like it's being drawn into big in into uh, uh, big maps etc how things are set up and then we're getting to the the that's really the theoretical part then we're coming to the practical part and sometimes it turns out that certain situations don't do not work the way it was foreseen for example and that's what we coordinate internally so that's what we do with the fifa stuff on site and also with the loc stuff okay why is this done in a certain way does this work in this in this way and if not how can we solve that and that is what we need to coordinate internally in the days beforehand and um our colleagues are just arriving in like uh, yeah and every day some new colleagues are arriving some colleagues are there for a longer time uh, periods for some functional areas for example accreditation is there early um, and some others are coming in later because they don't have really like a lot of preparations to do so every day you uh, you meet new colleagues and it's really nice um, yeah to be uh, to be working with all of them and then you really get to immediately get to work so you don't have a lot of time to get to know them that most of the time happens during the event itself of course we also need to coordinate a lot of with the co commercial partners for the activations so if they have a stadium tour for example okay what is the meeting point where are we going to meet inside or outside the perimeter what time where do they have to go um, but also if they have specific activations how can they do that what kind of accreditations are needed those kind of things and in the first days there are also team arrival meetings so the teams are arriving um, at in the country and then we need to do uh, certain checks like for me from my side equipment checks etc um, so that needs to be uh, dealt with as well and i can talk a lot more about this but as i as i said i <laughs> other i can talk for hours about this but that's not that's going to be too long of a podcast so i'm just going to continue what happens on match day a lot happens simultaneously so what we do for match days is that we create a schedule that indicates what needs to be done every qu quarter of an hour for example in the first hours beforehand it's maybe a little bit uh, longer but on a certain moment a lot of things are happening at the same time and that's why we also have such a large team because we're doing we're responsible for certain things certain activations which needs to be which needs to be delivered at the same time and that's not possible even uh, if i even if i wanted to it's not possible to be at three places at the same time so we create a schedule we check with the commercial partners who is going to activate which of their um, of their uh, options and then based on that we're creating the schedule for each uh, match day because sometimes for early matches some activations are not active uh, are not done by the commercial partner so we then don't need a team uh, focused on that and then there are a lot of things which are happening every match day and what uh, you might ask you might wonder what should you think about as i mentioned earlier the youth program rehearsal for example we have um, about 60 children coming to the stadium that need to do uh, the, the ceremonies before the match. And so together with uh, the competitions responsible, we are uh, rehearsing with them. So the, um, 
the flags. They need to know how to walk out the tunnel because it can be very overwhelming when the stadium is full. So we need to practice it a couple of times so they know what to do. They know they need to know where to stand. They need to know where to leave the uh, the, the stadium again after the ceremonies. They also need to know when they need to do that. So a lot of re- rehearsals like that always takes uh, some time on on match days. Uh, especially if you have new children for every match. Sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes it's just uh, local children who are assigned to like to for the whole tournament or that they they have two different groups. But I also had it that we had a new group of children every match day. So yeah, you need to rehearse with them, especially with the smaller children because the the, the smaller ones that are walking. With it, like the players' escorts that are walking uh, onto the pitch with it, with um, uh, with the players, they can be pretty overwhelmed, and then they're just standing there. Oh wow! And forget to leave the pitch or so. So uh, that's why that takes quite some time on um, on the match day. Then there are the team arrivals where we need to check certain things to see everything is correct. Um, then we have a lot of stadium tours, for example. Certain partners have the option to uh, to see the warming up from uh, from the from the sideline, or they can uh, stand in the tunnel area when the players are walking out, or they can do a stadium tour and they can see the dressing room area. So a lot of stadium tours are happening uh, at the same time, and um, yeah, we're, we're all of us are very busy with that. Then there is a brand activation area where the commercial partners have the possibility to uh, to set up something for the fans uh, outside of the um, of the stadium in order to have some uh, entertainment before the before the match. So that is also part of our responsibilities. Then there is sometimes, not always, there is a mascot that needs to uh, that walks around that needs to be briefed. He needs to know what time he or she needs to be where. Um, there are the food and beverage concessions, as I said, we need to check. Um, the value in kind parts, of course, continues, but needs to be checked that it is always done. Partner hospitality, uh, so hospitality needs to be checked as well. If uh, all the partner uh, logos, for example, are still, um, are still still visible, if there are no competitive brands. Um, we one of us needs to place the ball. Yeah, yeah, it's a very important tasks task. <laughs> um, it's so funny because I I have from almost every tournament I have a photo that um, that I'm placing the ball, and when I put posted that online, I got so much response, and then I was like, yeah, this is what I uh, what, what I studied for all these years to be able to put the ball on the stand. But it is a nice one because it's cool as the official to put the official match ball uh, there. Um, then we have the kickoff ball and certain uh, partners receive uh, match balls that we have to provide after the match to them with an official sticker and uh, the result of the match. And um, as part also of the youth program, there are also the ball children. They need to be briefed. Um, they need to know what to do. Um, so there's a lot of things behind that as well, because there is the one kickoff ball, official ball, and then there is like, um, we have a lot of spare balls and we also need to check that these, these are there. In Qatar, for example, they were tracked. They had, um, they had a tracking system in, uh, in them. Not because to not because people could walk away, of course, and also good, but it's for um, to know all the statistics on the on the pitch. 
So uh, that was a new thing. And uh, yeah, we always need to check that, that all the, the balls are still there, that the ball children need to know what they need to do, etc., etc. Then there is the man or the woman of the match. There are press conferences and there is a lot more uh, what is happening. And as I said, I could talk for hours about it, but it would become a very long podcast. So I'm almost uh, wrapping it up. If you find it interesting and you want to know more about it, and I'll keep following my podcasts, of course, but you can also go to my Instagram uh, profile to see some of the highlights of previous World Cups. They're in my, uh, in my highlights section. So then you can also um, have an idea of what it looks like. I always try to uh, post um, during events uh, to share what I'm doing. And I say, I, I emphasize try because um, sometimes it's just not possible due to time constraints, especially like in Qatar and in Costa Rica, we had so much to do, then I didn't have time, of course. Um, but I also cannot share everything because some things are confidential, um, but it does provide a good overview of what my work uh, looks like. And I cannot share certain parts which are like behind the scenes, which are only for certain, um, uh, for example, accessible for certain uh, target groups. So, but, but this gives a general impression of what my works, uh, work looks like. Finally, I want to mention one more point. If you want to do it yourself, what is important? One of the most important things is flexibility. Because things will not always go according to plan. And it's not because the plans are not made in the correct way, but just because it's new. It's the first World Cup match at that specific stadium. It's sometimes even one of the first big matches in that stadium. And of course, there are test matches beforehand, but it's but it does that is not the same as a World Cup match. There are spectators coming from all over the world who are new at that specific stadium. There are a lot of extra people being put in there. So there are a lot of things which like theoretically worked out, but then how is it gonna work if you how is it gonna real gonna work in real life? Because you can set up plans, etc., but things will go differently. So it is important to be flexible in order to be prepared for the unprepared. So that is, and that is also why um, like freelancers like me are hired because we have experience and we know what can happen. And of course, a lot of other things will, um, will may, maybe happen, but there are a lot of things which we can already be prepared for that it might be the case. For example, security, it is, we know it's always a challenge on the first match day because we have been talking about like everything. We went through everything with uh, security people, with security manager, etc. But there are so many people involved that we know we need to go to, to, to certain areas because otherwise people are getting, uh, for example, getting stopped where they are allowed through. So what we do is make a round to, with the security responsible to every single point where we're passing through with our stadium tours to know, to let them know um, that we're coming through at a certain moment because we have the correct accreditations. But sometimes people are like, yeah, they do not completely understand the, the system or something like that, or they're being too strict. They think it's not allowed to let them people through. So those kind of things we're already preparing beforehand. But still, even if you've prepared everything, 
there might be things which you ha cannot foresee beforehand and then you have to be flexible and then you have to be solution oriented that's a very important one as well and that's why like there is where that is where for example my experience comes in because i know what to do and um i try but it's not always possible to keep my hands as as free as I as I can in order to be there to to um, uh, solve all the problems there are. But sometimes you're in the middle of a tour and then something comes up. So yeah, that might be a little bit challenging. And I know the first match day can always be a little bit chaotic, <laughs> um, even if prepared in a very uh, very good way. But there's so much happening at the same time that um, yeah, it's just important to be flexible and solution oriented. Um, the standard 9 to 5 mentality doesn't apply here. That's what I was already mentioned before. And that's also what I, <coughs> what, I also, what I love about working in this world. Because everybody really wants to go for it. And there is a good mentality. And yeah, it's sometimes... You get... Like a lot of you get asked. I, for example, worked for a supplier in 2014 at, uh, at the World Cup. And I worked at the opening stadium. And I... And I was driving home, I think it was three at night, the night before the opening match, because we still had to finish certain things. I was working for a supplier who did um, uh, the, the signage and the stadium dressing. The problem was the stadium was not completely ready. So yeah, we could not finish everything because the stadium wasn't ready. Um, in the end, of course, the match is, is just going to be played. But I was driving, driving home at three o'clock at night and I was on the phone with HQ, with our HQ. And then you consider that normal, which of course, <laughs> if you think about it, it's not that healthy, but it's just great, great fun. I love doing it. As I said, it's sort of an addiction. You also need to be willing to get your hands dirty because there are things which just need to be done. And then it might be that it's you doing that. And of course, you have a group of people working with you. But if some things that need to be done, just get out there and, and go and do that. As I mentioned earlier, language skills are a big plus. If you want to do something, speak up about what, you're, what you want. Raise your hand. Make your ambition known to others. And your network is crucial in this world. So even if you don't know that many people, go and, for example, volunteer. That's how I, how I started. And you can hear about it in, that, in podcast one. I started my career as a volunteer. And when I applied a couple of years later, they loved it so much that I was a volunteer. That was a big plus for me. I got the job because I think because of my enthusiasm. But it really helped that I was a volunteer. And especially if you're in the world of sports, your network um, yeah, is going to help you um, getting more assignments. Because if that's the same thing. If I'm looking for somebody, I prefer to work with somebody I worked, um, which is recommended by somebody else. Um, because then I know what this person is, uh, is worth, what this person can bring to the project. That's it for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and find it valuable. If so, you could be me, would do me a big favor to leave me a five-star review, um, depending on the platform you're listening on, um, or also a like or a heart. There are several options. Want to follow more of me, subscribe to this podcast and or follow me on social media. And then LinkedIn or Instagram are the best ways to uh to follow me, I will put my um, my URLs in the in the podcast show notes. 
If you want, you can also send me a LinkedIn invitation and please mention that you find me through this podcast. That's it for today. I hope this was valuable for you and I'm wishing you a great day and have fun watching the Women's World Cup.